all profit is value extraction. And that means that all profit is theft from you. Corporate America is on welfare, and they you've got to get them off welfare. Welcome back to Cars and Comrades. This is Connor, and uh, we're coming back from a very short break. Um, Brandon said he he needed a minute uh, to get over uh, kind of where we were in the story. Uh, some things angered him. It's been a few weeks now because Brandon's just been having, he, he has had a hard time getting over it. So uh, we're coming back now, and uh, we're going to finish up the story on, you know, the RPM Act. Uh, so with me this week is uh, everybody else, Brandon, Bryant, and Zach. All he, him pronouns. Hello. Hi. Hello. And we're going to get back into it, but uh, since it's been a, a couple weeks, um, of course, to the listener, it's not going to feel like that, but uh, we'll, we're going to go ahead and do some quick uh, Project Car updates because, uh, yeah, it's been time for us, not for you. Whatever. Too bad. More updates. <laughs> so... Uh, Brandon, why don't you uh, lead us off with uh, your uh, your updates there? Oh, it's pretty easy. I haven't really done anything. Ooh, all right, moving through. <laughs> well, I, I started putting a motorcycle together, but I'm not making good progress. So, fair enough. I feel like those are made; those are perfect for sitting in garages and not taking up too much room. I'd find a way to take up room. <laughs> <laughs> My focus lately has been on acquiring shelves. Nice. I keep yeah. ending up with more transmission. Ooh, okay. This will be my one good thing that I I, I finally got my uh, 455 for the car on the engine stand to start uh, tearing it down to inspect the guts. I paid $500 for what was a, so I was told was a 455 Olds with a Turbo 350 transmission. Uh, once mm-hmm. I actually started looking closer and inspecting stuff, I realized that the guy had sold me a turbo 400 transmission. Um, nice. So that's, that's one better. of the more bulletproof transmissions I can have. So I have more options for my car now because a turbo 350 would get crushed by a big block in a, a heavier car. But the 400 could actually possibly withstand the awful way that I treat transmissions. Nice. Yeah. That's a come so, up there. That's pretty good. Yeah. That, that's my big news. That and... Uh, you know, I learned that I was doing all of the things on my drag van correctly, according to like a guy who had a very similar build. Um, but that's not really like progress. That's just a guy told me a thing and it made me happy. <laughs> that's progress. <laughs> Believe me, yeah. that's progress. <laughs> so, yep, I'm done. Cool. Brian, how about you? Well, I haven't done anything on my cars. Um, I'm still trying to figure out the shifter mechanism on my bicycle. So maybe I'll do that this uh, weekend if I have time to go to the store. Uh, but the big thing I've been working on was my moped. I was trying to get it ready for a uh, scooter rally that uh, my friend Scott, who was on a previous episode, um, was one of the organizers of that rally. Uh, but I didn't make it. I I think I talked about this before, but I put 
a bunch of like hodgepodge of parts together and part of it is the crankshaft from an italian made vespa and the flywheel and ignition system from a one built in india under license uh called kinetic is the brand that they sold them under um I and it turns out that they don't have the the woodruff key so i i used a bunch of different parts from the kinetic uh moped they're all sort of interchangeable but the thing i found out is that the woodruff key on the flywheel is like 10 degrees off on the indian one uh hmm. so the the cdi was not firing at the right point um i tried to just like get some like lapping compound and make a tight taper fit with the crankshaft and the flywheel but that didn't work it kept slipping so i just eventually uh gave up and put points back on it um and so it runs i took it for like maybe a 20 mile ride uh, about a week ago um and i i uh you know it goes it, it'll cruise comfortably around 30 miles an hour but that wheel that I was talking about was it's still a little off balance. It's still a little out of true. So it vibrates over 30 miles an hour. Um, I think I got it up mm. to maybe 40, but that's about as fast as I wanted to go on it. Um, and it's, it's possible that, you know, with the CDI, it would go a little quicker. Um, but I'm kind of giving up on it. I kind of want to sell it. Um, if someone will give me a decent uh, price for it. I mean, I can keep it for a while and, and fix it up and get it going better, but I'm, I'm kind of getting tired of this thing. Uh, so if anyone wants to buy it, please hit me up on the social media or the, the show's email and, and we'll figure something out. But uh, <laughs> yeah, if, if if you're a listener, I'll, I'll give you a, a good price and maybe even buy you a beer or a, a lunch or something. Um, if you want to listen to me ramble about stuff in person. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hit, us, hit us up for, for Brian's janky scooter that he's giving up on. <laughs> I mean, it's got a, it's got potential. It's got a lot of go fast parts for a moped. Uh, okay. So it's got a, it's got a bigger cylinder kit, like big bore kit. It's got an expansion pipe. It's got the, the largest carburetor that you can fit on this thing, which is 13 millimeters. Ooh, uh, Ooh huge. And uh, probably some other things that I'm forgetting. Um, I don't know. It just sounds to me like you offered to get them drunk enough that they would buy it. So <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> Pretty much. Um, but the other thing I've been working on is moving, getting ready to move. Uh, so I might not be on the show as much or, uh, you know, at least not researching stuff as much as I was. But, uh, yeah, that, that's exciting. I'll, I'll hopefully have more garage space to work on projects in the future with the new place. Um, yeah, that would be And uh, I think that's all I've been doing. Oh, I, I was also shitting my guts out because I got E. coli poisoning. Um, oh, they, uh, well, someone, uh, somehow sewage got in the, uh, the water lines for my neighborhood, um, huh. or, or someone took a shit in the water tower. I don't know what happened, but, uh, yeah, I was well, pretty sick for a couple that. days and then, and then they, uh, they put out the boil water notice and I'm like, oh, that's why I've been feeling sick. So yeah, um, but that's all fixed now. It's just making me feel a little bit doomer pilled because of the whole crumbling infrastructure of this country. You know, no, don't worry. Don't worry. They're, 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 um, there's an infrastructure bill and we compromise with the Republicans. So it's all good. Oh, oh, okay. 
Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the place I'm it. moving to is it was built in the 70s instead of the 50s, like the place I'm living now. So, you know, it's going to have at least 20 year newer uh, pipes and stuff, hopefully. Yeah, hopefully. It, it just got to pull infrastructure up by its bootstraps or something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, very but, fun. Uh, that's, that's all I've been doing lately. I think uh, Connor's turn. Yeah, yeah. So, um, what? Uh, I don't have too much new stuff going on. Um, just so the listeners know, um, as an update on the Camaro's air conditioning, uh, I still have not done the thing with the bottle. Uh, it's sitting in my car, should be a 20-minute job, and I just still have decided not to fucking do it. Too bad. So, <laughs> we'll see if I ever do it. Maybe I won't. We'll see. Um, but Sorry, you, I, cut out, you cut out for a second. What was it that you're doing with your car? Oh, it's what I'm not doing. Um, it's I've got that um, that air conditioning recharge thing, uh, which I oh, still right. have not yeah. used. Yeah, yeah, haven't used it yet. Just wanted the listeners to know I have not done it yet, and maybe I'll never do it. We'll see. Dude, Schrodinger's auto repair. <laughs> it's a quick and simple job, and also a six hour to eight hour long job, and at the same time until you've done it. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, that's where we're at. So you know. Perfectly happy with the uncertainty at the moment. Um, then I also did get a chance to, um, mostly because I had to bring the Camaro back to the shop for a bunch of stuff. Because, um, yeah, I got to have that gas tank uh, filler neck fixed, you know, and shit like that. Uh, and I don't have time or space to work on it. So uh, it's back in the shop. Hopefully it'll come out, you know, in better shape than it went in. We'll see. Um, but while I was there, uh, I got a chance to see the, um, well, sort of see the heads and the block back from the machine shop. Um, so they're all shrink wrapped um, and like protected and everything. And um, they're just going to leave them like that until they're ready to go in. But I did see them sort of through the, the you know, the wrapping and they look good. Um which I expected, but it was very exciting to see them in person. They exist. They're assembled. Shit's ready to go. Uh, so, yeah, that was pretty cool. I was happy with it. And cool. that's pretty much all I got. Oh, actually, nice. one more thing. Um, I pre-ordered some, like, JDM headlights for my car. Uh, and because of global supply chain fuck-ups, uh, it has taken, like, three or four months. But finally got them and when i pulled them out of the box i was like are, are these correct are my headlights really this big uh and they are in fact correct um but they look enormous um i guess i hadn't realized how big the 350z headlights are but they're fucking massive um when when you see them like disembodied from the car yeah they're fucking huge um but they look really good. They look better than the stock ones because um, those are one of mine is smashed um, completely and is like duct taped or not duct taped, but I have clear tape over it. Uh, and then the other one is like so yellow and like scratched up. It's like, yeah, so I needed new headlights. Finally got these after waiting for three or four months. And uh, yeah, those will go on soon, too. 
So are they they're from the JDM model or are they uh, like aftermarket or what? I think so. Yeah, it's it's our. I'm I'm not sure. I think they were actually like what is on the JDM version. So like what you get in Japan, I think that's the stock version. Could be wrong. They're like they are reproductions though. Like it's it's not made by Nissan. It's made by Depo, which I don't know. A lot of people seem to like those headlights. Um, and like, cause I, when I was looking, there's a lot of like junk out there and I'm like, yeah, I don't really want, like, there's a lot where it's like, cool. These are expensive, but they look like eBay dog shit. And that's not what I want. So these looked legit. Um, so they look legit and they look cool. So yeah. Four man. You know, I was thinking if, if they're designed for, um, uh, right hand drive car with the steering wheel on the other side, the they might be aimed a little bit differently um, from a U.S. model. Um, it's it's possible, um, but at the same time, these are these are made for like whatever reproduction they are. They are made for people yeah. changing them over, so it's right. probably fine. Uh, I'll just say, like as a PSA for the listeners, also like if if you're not happy with your headlights, they might just be aimed incorrectly. Like there's guides on there online on how to aim your headlights. Um, it's not that difficult. You just want to don't, don't would I don't do what I do and just leave the car um, with the headlights on with the engine off and run down the battery while you're doing it. Um, <laughs> Cause then you can't like drive anywhere. So uh, yeah, yeah, put a, probably. put a charger on it or, you know, keep the engine running while you're doing that. Uh, and do it outside if the engine's running. Don't die of carbon monoxide poisoning. <laughs> Good. Thanks so. for clarifying. <laughs> yes. Okay. Well, what kind of poisoning would you prefer we die from? Uh, well, I think we're all going to die from CO poison or CO two poisoning in the near future. But you know, that's a that's another thing. No, no, no. It's not going to be the poisoning. It's going to be the warming of the atmosphere caused by that gas. Get it right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I stand corrected. Uh, well, that's, yeah, that's all, I mean, that's all I got. So, uh, Zach, what have you been up to? Um, a lot. I've been, uh, making my way through this, uh, Ranger rebuild. Uh, got the engine and the transmission into the truck. And after some research, looks like it's gonna work. I ended up swapping the transmission to a a five-speed automatic instead of the four-speed that it came with. And that does pose some issues with with wiring and the the older ECU, but I think I'm going to be able to splice some stuff in, and it should work just fine. But uh, while I was working on that on Thursday, I, I was laying under the truck and ended up dropping a bolt out of it from about as high as I could possibly reach off of the ground. Uh, and it, it hit me in the temple, which oh. didn't feel great. Uh, <laughs> and then a few minutes later, I was uh, unable to stand up by myself or form a coherent sentence. Ooh. So I went to the ER and got a CT scan and 
checked my brain out. Uh, everything looks okay. No fracture, no brain bleeding or anything. They said it was probably just a concussion. Um, but yeah, be careful if you're a DIYer like myself and most of us here working on your cars is always dangerous. Even if they don't fall off the jack stands or anything, you could just let a bolt go and knock yourself in the noggin pretty bad. Oh, man, that sounds, yeah, that yeah. sounds good. Yeah, it was a little scary. Um, uh, you know, I, I got out from under the truck, and I, I was having kind of a hard time moving around. I was just like, oh, man, I've been under there for a while. Probably just not feeling great after laying down on the concrete for so long. So I, you know, I was just going to take a minute, try to feel a little better. And, uh, yeah, it just kept getting worse and worse. And then by the time I got to the ER, I was completely out of it. Couldn't focus on anything, couldn't stand up, could barely pick my hands up off my lap. And yeah, like I said, was having a really hard time even just making a coherent sentence. So, what yeah, be careful. What was it? It was, a, it was an exhaust manifold to exhaust pipe bolt. It was not all that big. It was about 19 millimeter head, maybe four, four and a half inches long. But I guess if it you know, hits that, you in the temple... Uh, yeah, I guess yeah, that's, a, that'll be enough, huh? It's a it's a pretty thin part of your skull, and yeah, like that's what everyone has said. Like, how did a bolt do that? Like, I would not expect a bolt to be able to cause that much damage. And I was like, yeah, me neither. I thought I just got like a bump on the head, and I was kind of pissed about it for a while. And like I said, I was feeling fine. You know, I was coherent. I was mad, and I was like, ah, oh, stupid bolt hit me in the fucking head. This sucks. But yeah, yeah a few minutes later, I was. A conspiratorial part of me is saying there must be some sort of magic bolt theory for this. <laughs> yeah. yeah. There yeah. was a second mechanic on the top of yeah. the engine. <laughs> yeah, on the grassy fender. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that, that's been fun. I've been uh, taking it easy for the past few days. Uh, just chilling out. Not really doing a whole lot of anything. Uh, so we'll see when I get back around to uh, wrenching again. But yeah, can't say it enough times. Be careful if you're working on cars. Danger lurks. Yeah. Yeah, I suppose that's true. I mean, I've definitely like cut myself and busted some knuckles and stuff, but nothing too bad. Nothing like that. Yeah. Yeah. Yikes. I think all my scars are from angle grinders. <laughs> They'll get you, man. <laughs> they will definitely get you. Uh, well, um, on that note, I suppose it's probably time to uh, pick back up with our story on the uh, the RPM Act. <clears throat> Let me. Ooh. All right, let's do it. Yep. Sorry, yeah. I, I was like removing my glasses and they got caught up on my uh, stupid headset. <laughs> I just assumed you were waiting for our approval. <laughs> no, no, I'm, I'm, I'm not. Although maybe a little bit. <laughs> I, honestly, that would be a weird way to live your life. Yes, yes, it would. Me, you know, asking for permission from my podcast co-hosts all the time. <laughs> <laughs> um, so just a, a little recap, just kind of where, where we started, where we're going. Um, the RPM Act, again, is a bit of legislation that SEMA, uh, which is a trade group, is trying to push through Congress um, to essentially create a loophole um, for um, illegal parts manufacturers. Um, and 
what's happening is, you know, they're creating this exemption that feels good on the surface. Oh, it's to make it so that you can turn things into race cars. seems totally reasonable. Um, but of course, um, there's probably a little bit more going on, um, which we should suspect from any industry trade group. Um, maybe it's, maybe it's a little bit more complicated, uh, especially when they're going against the EPA, which is arguably one of the very few government agencies that is doing something good. Um, so, you know, maybe there's more to the story. Um, so kind of where we left off, um, where Brandon needed, uh, a couple weeks to recover from how, <laughs> how upset he was. Um, we were listening to a brief, a br- just a moment to reflect. <laughs> yeah. Just a moment, uh, for a couple weeks. <laughs> uh, we were, we were, you know, and this was coming from, um, a Congress, Congressman Posey, I don't know, Republican from some fucking state. I don't remember, but you know, he, he's, he's, uh, doing the traditional Republican line. Oh, the, the darn government's coming in and overregulating and blah, 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 all this bullshit. So, um, that's kind of where we left it, you know, and, and SEMA's got this on their website to bolster their argument that, oh, you know, the EPA is just overregulating and that's the problem. And so we need to make this exemption for, um, you know, parts manufacturers to, save motorsports so the epa can't ban racing or whatever they're claiming goofy shit so um to pick up uh kind of where we left off um on their website uh i'll kind of continue here so uh spurred by a growing army of motorsports professionals and enthusiasts the rpm act in early june had already gathered 41 republican and 17 democratic co-sponsors um, so a quick note, I, I forget where we're at exactly today, but um, we're, we're nearing um, 100 representatives that are co-sponsors. If not, we, we could be even around uh, 150 or so. Um, I, I forget the exact numbers, but um, we, we have a lot more co-sponsors, and it seems like it's roughly two, you know, um, there's like a two-to-one ratio. So it'll be like... Um, you know, it's mostly Republicans are making up about two thirds of the uh, co-sponsors and, you know, the remaining 33 ish percent would be uh, Democrats. Um, <clears throat> so it's uh, it's scheduled to be taken up in the House Committee on Energy and Commerce, um, which I've got a note on that. But uh, a Senate version of the bill is expected to follow soon after. So um, this is, quote unquote, scheduled to be taken up in the Committee on Energy and Commerce, um, as of right now, it's not making any progress. So it's not actually on, it's not, it hasn't been assigned to a subcommittee within that committee. Um, and this, I'm, I'm starting to learn that like in the legislative process, this is part of where things can go to die. So like it gets introduced, it gets all these co-sponsors and it's, oh, it's in this committee. But if it doesn't ever get assigned to like a hearing in a subcommittee, it's dead. You're never going to hear from it again. So like it's a way to stop legislation without voting on it, without having it in a committee hearing, without anything. This could change, of course. Um, So like any legislation, more pressure, more notoriety, whatever it may be, 
this could come back. It could be um, scheduled to a subcommittee, but as of right now, it looks like it's just kind of hanging around, not doing anything. Now, that's not stopping SEMA from their uh, essentially a marketing campaign is what they're doing. Um, so that kind of continues. Um, but, you know, for the listener, right now um, in Congress, this is just kind of sitting there waiting for nothing, basically. Um, now, uh, while this year's uh, reading again, while this year's version is not its first, the RPM Act of 2021 comes with unprecedented backing which it's got less backing than the one of 2017, I think, but, uh, you know, whatever. Uh, the RPM, uh, some 1.25 million quote unquote and counting, uh, letters sent to lawmakers urging its passage. Um, which for anyone wondering if there's really a hundred and a million plus people who wrote in letters to Congress, um, there's at least a million plus people who, you know, uh, clicked on the social media link and then said, you know, click to sign your name. And then they click that and then it auto sends a, a message. So, you know, keep in mind what that actual letter looks like. Um, and uh, back back to the uh, website, the outpouring of support was made possible through coordinated efforts across the racing and performance industry to leverage all available reach and media. SEMA slash PRI. Uh, we'll continue to keep the pressure on Congress to pass the RPM Act and encourage motorsports parts, businesses, and racetracks to support the effort to pass this bill into law. Individuals can help spread the word by, you know, blah, 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 blah. All the shit you've been seeing around, that's that. Um, they've even got a uh, their own hashtag, which is hashtag save our race cars. Because, you know, everyone knows uh, the EPA wants to take your race car or some such thing. Um, so kind of a little bit further down, um, we kind of get into a little bit more here. Um, and of course there's, there's an economic interest, uh, involved. So, uh, this is a quote from PRI president, Dr. Jamie Meyer. Uh, look, there are threats to the racing industry, political threats, uh, to the racing way of life. (laughs) Seems a little absurd, little, little melodramatic in my opinion, but um, speaking recently of the need for continued advocacy on behalf of the RPM Act. Uh, quote, an- more, another quote, uh, when you talk about economic impact uh, of people's lives that racing brings joy to, the American tradition of going out to the races, those simple reminders are often all it takes to get a little bit of movement in a political stance. Um, now, while the uh, RPM Act awaits its next steps in Congress, There are measures suppliers can take now to better protect themselves from EPA enforcement. PRI, in partnership with SEMA Action Network, has put together the following guidance for companies that manufacture or sell parts for competition vehicles. This is going to be a little bit important, Uh, so pay attention. So point number one, know your customer. Document as much as you can that the vehicles you are manufacturing or selling for are race vehicles and have attributes such as roll bars, belong to a race team, or don't have license plates. Uh, Point two, ensure the number of units manufactured or sold supports sales that are for race use only vehicles. Point three, 
Do not rely on for race use only labeling alone. It will not protect you from the EPA enforcement. Uh, point, which are the one that comes after the one I just said. I, I, I lost count already. Um, if you manufacture or sell parts for purpose-built race vehicles, the EPA probably won't target you. Still, it is possible, if highly unlikely, that one of your parts ends up on a street vehicle, the EPA will come knocking. Trust us isn't good enough for the EP- from the EPA. Help pass the RPM. Act. Yeah, I love it. I love it when like my f- risk of getting fines or going to jail or whatever is like, ah, you're probably good. <laughs> yeah. Um, then the, the final point: uh, be cognizant of your advertisements and social media content. A viral video of a non-clean air act compliant vehicle doing burnouts on the street or a truck off-roading and belching out black smoke is an evidentiary is an evidentiary gift to enforcers. So there's a bunch of notes here. Um and really this list is kind of like it's like just don't do the shit you're doing and it's like well if that's the point like one if you know what the EPA is actually after you probably don't have to worry too much but you know this is noteworthy in that they're like, oh, yeah, keep track of all your customers and make sure it's for race only stuff. This is so that shops can shift the burden onto the purchasers. Uh, so that's kind of the thinking there is this is this is their telegraphing to manufacturers and distributors. Hey, make sure you, you you've got um, make sure that you've got this like. Um, under control, and you're you're keeping track, and you've got plausible deniability, essentially. Um, okay, that that makes sense. I mean, so it's it's an attempt to sort of clarify the rules so that you know, uh, like off road shops or race shops can still sell parts, but they're able to cover their ass and shift more of the blame for emissions onto the customer misusing the parts is that yes am i understanding that correctly yeah so that's what that's what they're recommending people do um in the meantime until the rpm act is passed at the you know ultimately this stuff isn't like if you're doing the thing that they're actually concerned about um this this none of this is going to help um so that won't matter but essentially this is just SEMA trying to protect those companies, not protect the enthusiasts that they're ostensibly claiming to. Um, right. Because I mean, yeah. I don't, I don't, I'm not hearing anything about like um, allowing, you know, modifications that might change, uh, you know, the performance of the car, but would would not really. Would would still allow it to pass emissions tests. I mean, is that part of the worry also? Well, I'll get into some of the worry. Um, okay, but there's uh, I'm building to sort of what's going on. But th- there's this idea SEMA is saying, you know, which technically they are right. There is no way to make a a regular EPA certified engine into a race use only vehicle like according to the clean air act you can't modify 
any of these engines into um, something that is like 100% for racing, will not see a public road, so therefore you can take off every emissions device and not worry. There, In order to do that for a specifically race-only car, you would have to build an engine that was never certified by the EPA, right? So technically, to create this race car with an EPA-certified engine, whether that's an LS or a Honda K-Series or whatever you're putting in your race-only car, you would technically have to break the law. Now, of course, something is not a law if it's not enforced. Like, there's laws on the books that I think, like, in Alabama, if you put salt on a railroad track, you can go to jail for X number of years. I don't think they're enforcing that law. So, like... Well, yeah, yeah. that's assault on a railroad. (laughs) (laughs) (sighs) That was a good one. (laughs) Um, But that's a perfect example. It's technically a law. It's on the books, but, like, if it's not enforced, it's really... It's not a law. Um, But, of course... What's different here is the EPA is enforcing all of this stuff, right? Right? I think. Maybe. I don't know. Maybe. Yeah, we'll see. Um, you know why Democrats so- haven't gotten more involved with this, don't you? Because liberals don't see race. Oh. <laughs> <God>. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, all right. I can sign out now if you want. <laughs> so, Connor, you were saying about, like, um, you would have to have, like, race-only engines that aren't certified by the EPA. Like, I, I'm not really sure what that would look like. Just, like, a crate motor that was never intended to go into a street a streetcar? Is that what they're talking about? Or, um, look, like, what would a race-only motor be? I, 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 I don't know. Um, I don't think SEMA knows. I don't think anybody knows. We're talking yeah. about um, a weird technicality that is being, you know, grabbed onto. Um, and it's like, yeah, I mean, technically that's correct, but also that's maybe not what's going on here. There, there's there's a little bit more um, that's being, I think, hidden from people. Uh, when it comes to the RPM Act. Um, so My takeaway um, from this is just to be safe and make sure people understand that my engine is race only, I should only run it on nitromethane. I mean, yes. But, but on the that. street, right? Yes, race only, but illegal street racing only. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, okay, let me finish up this It's last okay, officer. Here. I'm running on nitromethane. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let me uh, let me finish up this last bit here from the SEMA website. Um, no promises. Yeah, this is kind of their closing a uh, little bit here. Uh, so in the meantime, SEMA PRI will continue leading the fight against the EPA's over-aggressive legal interpretations and enforcement tactics in the courts, legislatures, and regulatory agencies. Uh, rolling my eyes over here, but um, we are determined to pass the RPM Act to correct the EPA's misinterpretation of the Clean Air Act, 
I'm sure Seema understands the Clean Air Act a little bit better, huh? <laughs> <laughs> um, the EPA's misinterpretation of the Clean Air Act and allow racers to modify streetcars into racing machines. SEMA slash PRI has challenged the EPA in federal court on the assertion that a motor vehicle can cannot be converted into a full-time race car. While the court did not address the issue directly, it did offer positive statements regarding the government's burden of proof in such cases. Absent passage of the RPM Act or the EPA changing its position, uh, this first-of-its-kind legal challenge is likely not the last. SEMA PRI is leading the fight against over-aggressive EPA enforcement, too. We are asking the Office of Management and Budget, which oversees the regulatory process, to review and rein in the EPA's use of unannounced site visits, government agents making overbroad or threatening statements, onerous demands for information, extortionate settlement demands, and other fear tactics employed by the EPA. SEMA slash PRI will continue to oppose EPA overreach and protect the industry, but we need your help. Click here, blah, 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 sign or whatever thing. So that's the case being made by SEMA. And it, it seems relatively compelling. Um, you know, it, it seems like a, a simple law to create, to clarify essentially what's allowed under the Clean Air Act, right? Um, so that's kind of what they're, what they're, you know, claiming, um, but, uh, um, I, sorry, <laughs> in, in my, in my further research, I kind of started to question, uh, what it is they're, they're fighting for. So, um, again, this is an exemption that I think everyone can generally tell this is creating a loophole, right? So it's not like, there's a lot of people who are like, oh, this is totally genuine, blah, blah, blah. Even if you agree with this act, what it's seeking to do is create a loophole for manufacturers to just put on the website for off-road use only, and then that's it, right? They, you know, then it doesn't matter. They can sell whatever the hell they want because um, they put a note that it's for off-road use only, it's racing only, whatever. So that's really what they're seeking to do. So they, they kind of grandstand and blah, 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 blah. We're doing this and that. But really, they just want to make it so that there's a legal precedent to just say, yeah, it's for racing only and that's that. So again, it's to protect distributors and manufacturers. SEMA is telling enthusiasts that it's about protecting them. And... I'm not so sure if that's quite accurate. Um, so uh, the RPM Act was first introduced in the House of Representatives in 2017 uh, under the bill uh, name HR 350. And I, uh, I actually sucked it up and I read through that committee report. And what I found was, let's just say, somewhat at odds with the claims of SEMA. Can we just take a moment to give Connor a pat on the back for actually reading through legal documents? Yeah, that sounds boring as hell. It was... Okay, I'm going to admit this. Um, the committee report is actually kind of like a summary. So, like, I didn't watch testimony. I didn't... There's a lot of shit that I got to skip through. The committee report was actually a pretty simple, short document. It was kind of boring, but also kind of enlightening. So, it was fun. It was a fun little trip. So... 
Um, I don't know. It was interesting, we'll say. So um, the committee report um, is basically, uh, I don't know, I have a bunch of notes written, so I'm going to try and read this. And and I'm going to try not to say um too much, which I know I do when I'm reading. And I may or may not cut it out of the last section, but uh, if there's a lot of ums in this episode, sorry, listeners, that's just, uh, I'm an idiot when I'm trying to read stuff. So it is what it is. That's okay, man. I'm an idiot regardless of whether I'm reading or not. So you're a step ahead of me. Sweet. I will take it. <clears throat> so um, what I've got here is, uh, so from the 2017 Committee Report on the RPM Act, um, I've got a little summary here. Uh, Congress did not intend for racing vehicles to be regulated as quote-unquote motor vehicles under Title II of the Clean Air Act. Accordingly, the Environmental Protection Agency has never taken an enforcement action with regard to EPA-certified vehicles modified solely for racing. Uh, now, I've got this in bold. However, on July 13th, 2015, the EPA's proposed rule on medium and heavy-duty truck greenhouse gas emission standards included provisions that would have reversed the agency's long-standing practice allowing for the modification of vehicles to be used solely for competition. After receiving public comment on the proposed rule, the EPA decided to eliminate this language from the final rule. So that's actually a really important thing to note. This proposed rule change was really just a rewording somewhere deep down. No one thought it was going to matter. But then, of course, like SEMA saw an opportunity and started to lobby that, oh, this rule change is a big deal. When that happened, the EPA just said, oh, yeah, never mind. Okay, we didn't think this was going to be an issue. Fuck it. We don't care. That didn't stop this battle over the RPM Act, but it it is noteworthy that they did actually just eliminate that language. Um, So continuing, um, the... EPA decided to eliminate this language from the final rule, but in doing so asserted it had to be a restatement of the agency's position, leaving a cloud of legal uncertainty over the competitive racing industry. H.R. 350, the RPM Act, clarifies that the Clean Air Act Title II anti-tampering provisions applicable to motor vehicles do not apply to vehicles used solely for competition. Right? So... The, the takeaway, I think, from this section was kind of uh, something that made me, like, raise an eyebrow. I was like, wait, this supposed rule change that started off this whole thing starts with a rule change for medium and heavy-duty diesel trucks. And I thought, okay, I don't know too many diesels. I don't see too many diesels out on the uh, drift track or the drag racing track or... NASCAR yeah. or whatever. I wonder if they're so talking I, about like tractor pull sort of deals. I mean, look, they could be, but <laughs> you know, it, it's one of yeah. those, this rule change that's supposedly going to end motorsports specifically was a rule change to medium and heavy duty truck emissions, not traditional race right. cars. The last time I checked. Um, so, um, Further down, that was kind of just the summary. 
Further down, I found something actually really interesting. Now, I want to preface this. This is a CBO scoring, so which they're the Congressional Budget Office, right? They score up any bill that will have any effect on the budget. So they'll do this for tax bills. They will do this for spending bills. They'll do this for, you know, whatever legislation that could impact government revenues, taxes, whatever, um, is going to get a CBO score. The RPM Act, believe it or not, was going to have an impact on the budget. So I was blessed with seeing a CBO scoring on it. And that indicated a few interesting things, at least from my perspective. So the CBO had to estimate the cost to the federal government of the passage of this act. This is done mostly for, you know, procedural reasons to determine how the bill is handled and what rules it's going to be subject to. So different, you know, grades of like how much it's going to impact the budget. It's going to be handled a different way. It's going to have to meet different standards, uh, what have you. So that's kind of the purpose behind this. Um, This is a very small dollar amount overall. Uh, in both implementing the rule change as well as um, potentially lost revenues to the EPA. Um, So the CBO considered the fines to businesses in violation of this provision of the Clean Air Act as revenues for their scoring. So the fines levied against companies that are caught, that are busted by the EPA um, are considered revenues. And those are being, you know, estimated by the CBO for uh, this bill in 2017. So, the CBO estimated a loss of revenues of just $2 million per year through the year 2027 with no indication of any change after that. So they only scored it from for 10 years um, back in 2017. Um, and they estimated $2 million per year in revenues lost to the passage of the RPM Act. So that was kind of another eye-opening moment where I was like, well, hey, wait a second. I thought the EPA was targeting every shop, every manufacturer, all of us race car drivers. How how the fuck could could they only lose $2 million per year, right? If the EPA is actually interpreting the Clean Air Act in a more aggressive way than they were before, I would expect that number to be considerably higher, Um because two million is a very small amount of money, um, especially um, with most of these EPA enforcement actions where they do actually bust somebody, um, the fines range all over the place. And I will get to some, you know, later later on. Um, but for a lot of these companies, they're busting. They're usually up around you know eight hundred thousand to a million dollar busts. So one or two busts per year is what the CBO is expecting. Seems weird considering SEMA's claims. So yeah, just, um, and to be fair, just a quick perspective here, their fiscal year 2019 uh, EPA's budget was uh, right under $9 billion. So yeah, 2 million just to put that in perspective is literally nothing. It's a, it's a rounding error. It's, it's, yeah, it would be the same if it was zero. It's literally no difference. So just to be clear, are we talking about government budget uh, that's going to be impacted or like yes. the economy yes. as a whole, like 
like, you know, businesses are going to be impacted to $2 million. No. So that is not being scored here. This is the score. Um, these are revenues to the federal government through the collection of, say, fines and stuff okay. from busting these companies. So, yeah, gotcha. $2 million a year, not very much. Now, to be fair, and, and this is my, my little asterisk here, um, the Congressional Budget Office isn't perfect, right? It, one, this is an estimate. Two, we've seen bad CBO estimates before, uh, notably with, like, Medicare for All. When that went through, the CBO gave it overall a good score. Like, it proved that, like, hey, this is actually going to save money, but it was very conservative. So it didn't account for a lot of the other... Um, benefits to the economy so like it was a good score but ultimately it wasn't perfect um because the cbo doesn't consider everything and like anything else in the u.s government this is from a capitalist perspective it's not like there's a bunch of you know perfect objective people right so it's not a perfect measure. I don't want to claim that the CBO is 100% correct in everything they do. And so we have to listen to them. But in a case like this, this is being done for procedural reasons. The CBO is not estimating really anything different here. So it's just something to pay attention to. It is something to gauge the overall impact of the RPM act and what the EPA is planning to do. Um, so, uh, kind of continuing on, um, this isn't really, which I, here's my next note. Uh, this isn't really any different than, you know, roughly one to three companies getting busted, violating the clean air act every year, uh, which is pretty much the same as it's been, um, as the small handful of companies find recently, uh, and publicized by SEMA. So looks to me like there's not going to be a whole lot of change, at least from the perspective of the CBO. Uh, this clearly demonstrates that there's no intention of cracking down on every tuning shop and every manufacturer or going after regular people on any such enforcement, sort of. Um, I, I wrote that note. That's not entirely true, but we'll more on that in a minute. Um, so the CBO estimated the most mundane enforcement for only the most egregious violations pertaining to medium and heavy duty diesel trucks. Um, again, noteworthy that's what they're expecting the EPA to focus on. And that seems to be what the EPA claims they're going to focus on. SEMA is the, you know, they're the ones who are claiming otherwise. Now, HR 350 would amend the Clean Air Act to prohibit the EPA from regulating emissions from motor vehicles that are modified solely for motorsports competition. Under current law, EPA may impose penalties against any company that manufactures or sells illegal parts, such as defeat devices, which defeat devices are, that's what we're talking about. That's the kind of thing that is in question. And defeat devices, when SEMA refers to them, it's everything. Every tune, every cold air intake, every turbo, you name it, that's a defeat device. It seems a little less the EPA does not appear to be interpreting that that way. Um, uh, but anyway, um, such as defeat devices that can bypass emissions controls, HR 350 would amend the Clean Air Act's definition of a motor vehicle to exclude vehicles that are modified solely for competition, and it would make the manufacture, sale, installation, and use of defeat devices 
legal for competitive motorsports. Um, so this is kind of a pretty favorable view of what the RPM Act is actually seeking to do um, and what the EPA is actually able to do. Um, but again, note, the EPA has never chosen to act in the way that, you know, this is claiming. Um, now, according to officials in EPA's Office of Civil Enforcement, the agency currently focuses its efforts on manufacturers and sellers of defeat devices that affect emissions from vehicles that are operated on public roads, which is, you know, what we drive. <laughs> um, although EPA has the legal authority under current law to pursue such violations for any motor vehicle, including those converted for use in motorsports, the agency has historically neither enforced that rule nor collected penalties from mo the motorsports industry. So this was a moment wh where I kind of was like, I took a note as to kind of where we are in this fight. And like, this is coming from officials in the EPA who to a certain extent kind of put their foot in their mouths. Um, on, on one hand, it's like, it, it, they're kind of like coming out and saying like, yeah, you know, it's like we haven't ever enforced the law that way. Uh, but then they're in their next breath, they're screaming, but we totally can at any second because we have the absolute right to do exactly what this law says we want to do. But of course, you know, we historically haven't done that and we're not planning to. It's like, well, okay, but you didn't really need to come out and scream that like, yes, they have something to be scared of. <laughs> so this feels a little bit like the EPA kind of making a problem for themselves to a certain extent. Um, at least that was my take on it. Yeah, but it does sound like the SEMA um, uh, and the other organization uh, sort of blowing this out of proportion and making a bigger deal about it than it is. Well, I exactly. But, you know, again, when the EPA is asked about it and they come on and they go, yeah, uh, oh, you know, we could totally do it. It's like, stop. What are you doing? You're making their case for them. Come on, stop it now. But, um, you know, that's the way it goes. Sometimes, sometimes they do things that they shouldn't do. And this is what, when they talk about this, it's one of those times. Um, but this is an important note and I did put this whole thing in bold. So um going to read through the whole thing here because the bill would shift the legal focus of enforcement cases to how a motor vehicle is ultimately used it would significantly increase the burden on EPA's enforcement officials to prove that manufacturers and sellers are complicit in the use of defeat devices for purposes other than competition. So based on information from the EPA, CP CBO, or the Congressional Budget Office, expects that enacting the bill would probably lead to the agency shifting enforcement, resources away from manufacturers and sellers, and toward individual users and installers of defeat devices that are not used in competition and for which end-use violations would be easier to demonstrate under law. So this is kind of the really, really damning thing that I found in the um, committee report. When I read this, I was like, get the fuck out. So SEMA's going around and they're telling people, we're here to protect race cars and we want to save our race cars. And the EPA is trying to 
take it away from you. Um, but according to the Congressional Budget Office, the passage of this bill is almost certainly going to lead to the EPA coming after you and me, anyone who modifies their car, right, who does not have the resources to fight back, right? Because if you get caught with that, it's just like, well, you're fucked. You know, most people don't have money for a lawyer. Most people don't have a full legal team. Um, so this will shift their enforcement probably to individual users and small time installers. So the shop down the street where you're having this done, they're the ones who are going to get fucked. The people without the legal team, the manufacturers, on the other hand, those with the money, those with the legal teams, those who SEMA actually represents, they're going to be covered by passage of this bill. Not okay, this I. is making a lot more sense now that they're just trying to cover their own asses. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so it was like, when I read this, I was like, ooh, that's that's the part that SEMA's, that's the quiet part that they're not talking about. Again, we have to understand who SEMA is. SEMA is not car enthusiast, you know, lobbying group. They're... Um, industry lobbying group they're protecting the industry they want to make sure that they're okay they're not interested in you or i they're not interested in protecting race cars they don't give a shit they just want to be able to put a note on the website that says for off-road use only and if you get caught with it fuck you you go to jail or you get fined right so i i found that pretty enlightening i was like oh that's an interesting thing. I was glad I read the committee report um, because that little little bit was in there. And I was like, interesting. <clears throat> yeah. I, you know, this makes me think of the, the German system called TUV. I, don't, I forget what it stands for in German. Um, but they basically have a system where the manufacturer of any, any part for a car that's either just like an aftermarket part, like if you're just replacing your water pump or if you're, you know, putting a supercharger or something on your car, they have to get it certified by this government body to say, you know, this is, you know, up to the standards of, uh, you know, the original manufacturer and it's not going to, you know, uh, harm the uh, um, emissions of this car or whatever. It's, it's still going yeah. to be compliant. So it's it it makes things more expensive. To, it makes it much more expensive to modify your car in Germany, but you know that you're getting quality parts that aren't going to you know cause your car to uh, like like your tie rod's not going to break off and send your wheel careening off to to kill a pedestrian, and you're not going to be uh, spewing emissions. Um, hmm. At least that's, that's my understanding. I might be wrong on that. Maybe uh, I should look into. Uh, TUV before I spout off about it, but that's my understanding of uh, they have, you know, it's 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 putting the onus on the manufacturer to say that this is a quality part, this is not going to fuck up your car uh, or fuck up the emissions or whatever. Nice. It's saying that we recognize your customers are idiots and you're responsible for them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe that's a better system uh, than the sort of hodgepodge of uh, weird enforcement that we have with the. EPA right now. I don't know. I think with uh, the tube system or the TUV system, uh, as far as I'm aware, I do believe you have to have it inspected. 
after you install any aftermarket part, like something yeah. not just a replacement part, but it is still somewhat on you to go to, you know, an inspection of some sort. Right. Even if the part is approved, you still have to install it and then make sure the installation is approved as well. Right. All right. That seems like that that that, that seems like a pain in the ass. It does. I don't know if and I'm supportive I think, of that. <laughs> I think with that you're also pretty limited on some things that aren't necessarily emissions related, but maybe more so just um, damage to infrastructure related. Like I think that you can only drop your car a maximum of like two inches or something like that. Like no no hmm. slammed life in Germany. <clears throat> hmm. uh, That's kind of a bummer. Yeah. I could be wrong about that, especially the specifics, but I think there are some limitations on what exactly you can do. Like you can only go so far over the stock uh, hmm. wheel diameter and so much below the stock ride height, uh, things like that, where, you know, they're huh. really not wanting you to put something crazy custom on the road. There. Yeah. All right, so, well, that kind of sucks. <laughs> yeah. Maybe we, maybe we shouldn't go, but... <laughs> maybe we shouldn't go full German bureaucracy uh, right away, but like I could see you could have a system where like, Let's say you want to put a high flow catalytic converter on your car to get a little bit extra power. Let's say, you know, the manufacturer of that, you know, they they get a stock car, a stock, let's say it's a Subaru WRX. They put the catalytic converter on that. They put their tune on it or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, they take it to uh, an emissions testing place like, you know, we have in Colorado, we have the Air Care Colorado stations where you take your car in, you pay $25, they put it on a dyno, they, you know, plug in the OBD2 port or whatever, they measure the um, emissions coming out the tailpipe. You know, you could have the manufacturer do something like that and say, you know, if you have an otherwise stock car that is in good shape and passed emissions beforehand, if you put this thing on your car, it's going to pass emissions in, you know, Colorado, California, and whatever other states. And, uh, you know, maybe put some asterisks and some legal disclaimers on there, but say, okay, we tested this. It should have passed emissions. If you put this on your car, you know, you'll probably be fine. But I don't know, like, the legal jurisdiction for doing something like that, how that would work exactly. Yeah, it's hard to say. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. I'm not doing can... this conversation because of my, like, overt disregard for the law. <laughs> yeah, that's the other thing, too. Like... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, none yeah, of this is really relevant if you don't care. <laughs> You're just going to do it anyway. Like, I know so many people that put cats on their car just to pass emissions and then immediately go home and put a catless downpipe on it. Right. Because, you know, they're going to do it either way. Like, like it has been said, I think a few times now, the laws are only really relevant to enforcement. Exactly. I don't think any of those people that are putting test pipes on their car are getting pulled over and getting fines for it. And if they are, they just don't care. They, they're like, yeah, well, that was the risk I took. I'm just going to pay the fine. So it seems like a lot of, I, I don't want to, I, I don't want to simplify it too much, but it seems like SEMA is making a lot of hullabaloo about nothing ultimately, other than protecting who they lobby for, which is manufacturers, so that they don't get fined for, you know, selling defeat devices 
They just want to make sure that they're absolutely 100% covered in every possible way so that no legal action or fine can be brought against the manufacturers. And it's purely on the enthusiasts, which it really already is. Like I said, people run stuff on the street that's illegal all the time. It has nothing to do with that. Like, are you going to stop just because the law changed? If you were already not running cats and running, you know, illegal stuff on your car? Yeah. Like, how are they going to enforce that? My van doesn't need a a cat because it's old enough to be bypassed by that. But it it also wouldn't even pass a safety inspection here. (laughs) Yeah. Also, like, it's not that hard to get into, like, a collector's tag or classics tag, whatever you call it, at least in Colorado. And then you don't have to do any inspection whatsoever. I think it's only, like, 25 years. 35 years? My, my cutlass has antique tags on it. Yeah. I don't have to yeah. do fucking anything. Yeah. I had a, a Honda Civic that I bought for like $100 for a while. And this was right when I could drive legally. So about a decade ago. It was a late 80s one. And it had antique tags on it. So it's it's not even that. Like you don't have to have that old of a car. And then you don't have to do emissions at all. Or any kind of inspection. At least in Colorado. Yeah. No, that makes sense. I think a lot of this too is like SEMA is trying to protect manufacturers, but at the same time, I think there's also a certain publicity aspect. I mean, everyone's now heard of SEMA and everyone now knows that SEMA is more than just a yearly car show. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's probably part of it. <laughs> this is a pretty big campaign and now, you know, everyone is now fawning over SEMA and thinking, oh, SEMA's there to protect us and everything. So um, I think that's part of it, too. Yeah, absolutely. If they can make public opinion uh, shift in the way that they want and make people think that, you know, SEMA is really out there to protect the enthusiast and, and, you know, really going to go to bat against these legal overreaches for us, the people, yeah, it really helps their image. And even though it's it's literally nothing, like it, yeah, you've you've read through the the thing. It's it was literally a couple of shops doing diesel truck modifications that were even on the table to begin with. But they can blow it up into this thing that makes people believe, oh, the EPA is coming for your race car, but SEMA's yeah. here to stop them. Exactly. So ultimately, it's just a PR stunt. Really. That's pretty much what I found through my research. Now, I'm going to continue kind of building that case. um, But that's, you know, if you're you're listening, you haven't figured it out. That's kind of what I'm building towards is really that's kind of that's the game that's being played here. Um, Spoiler alert. Yeah. Well, on that note. Nope, no problem. Uh, on that note, um, I do have to take a quick break uh, to use the bathroom real quick. Um, so I don't know if All right, we'll else see you needs. guys in two weeks. <laughs> 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 so uh, give me a minute. Oh, you know, if anyone else needs to do the same, uh, we'll come back in a minute or something. Yeah, that sounds good. I'm going right. to get some ice water. It's hot. Yeah. Sweet. Sure. All right. See you in a couple minutes. All profit is value extraction, and that means that all profit is theft from you. 
picking back up here, um, it's worth noting um, that over the 2013 to 2017 period, uh, the EPA settled 13 cases, uh, mostly against manufacturers for Clean Air Act violations related to defeat devices. So resulting in the collection of 14 million in penalties. Uh, And over the same period, uh, the agency collected what they call a nominal amount in penalties from installers and users of defeat devices. So basically this is just a note within the committee report that, um, Hey, it does seem like the EPA has gone mostly after manufacturers and large distributors as opposed to users and installers. Um, and you know, kind of like they were saying this, the RPM act would likely shift that, um, enforcement the other way around. So, um, so after reading the committee report, um, I kind of got a, cause up until that point I was still like, oh yeah, I guess it seems like the EPA is cracking down and that's what's going on. And I started to believe, okay, I think this is legit. Then I read the committee report and that was when I started to be like, okay, something else is going on here. This is, this is a little bit, you know, murkier than SEMA is making it out to be. Um, and one of the things that a lot of, uh, that SEMA and a lot of the, um, companies that have been, um, you know, fined by the EPA and whatnot, um, uh, people get caught up. They like to throw out, uh, EPA documents. And this was one of the, f- some of the first things I read was documentation from the EPA that actually did sound really scary. Um, uh, so this go- kind of goes back to what I was talking about the EPA sort of putting their foot in their mouth. Um, at least that's what I thought at first. Then as I really thought about what I was reading, things started to make a little bit more sense. So um, this is from an EPA enforcement alert document. Um, so a lot of people who are supporting the RPM Act like to throw this out there and say, oh, see, look, the EPA is intending to take our race cars and you know, this is their proof and it's an actual EPA document. Um, so you can find this yourself. Um, so I gave it a read and, you know, I I later after reading the committee report discovered, um, some things. So, um, this alert is intended to remind all regulated entities that installing a defeat device or tampering with a motor vehicle or non-road equipment can be costly to their businesses and subject them to enforcement and penalties. The U.S. Environmental Protection Agency remains concerned that regulated entities are continuing to ignore the prohibitions against tampering in section blah, 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 uh, despite the EPA resolving over 70 cases in the last five years. Um, EPA has identified stopping aftermarket defeat devices for vehicles and engines as a national compliance initiative, which is also another document that they link to in this document. Um While the EPA continues to take up enforcement actions against automobile manufacturers for their emissions cheating. Now, this is referring to Volkswagen, which if if you think back to 2014, that was during Dieselgate when they're um, when those cars were outfitted from the factory with tunes that knew when they were being tested and would put out faulty data. And that was a point that I hadn't really understood until much later in my research. The supposed rule change to these diesel engine modifications came 
after that. So Dieselgate, what this capitalist fucking company was doing to cheat emission standards, was actually what kind of put the e- kicked the EPA into gear on this stuff with regards to diesels. So I found that to be a very important note. Um, it's just something to think about. Um, so while the while the um, while the EPA continues to take enforcement actions against automobile manufacturers for their emissions cheating, the focus of this national compliance initiative is on those who manufacture, sell, and install aftermarket parts known as defeat devices, which bypass or render inoperative required emissions control systems, resulting in significant increases in harmful air emissions. The Clean Air Act requires vehicle and engine manufacturers to demonstrate that their products do not exceed applicable emission limits. The Clean Air Act also prohibits anyone from manufacturing, offering for sale, selling, or installing any part or component that bypasses or defeats emissions controls. So, um, again, noting the language that they're using to, um, dis- to discuss this stuff, which is coming up. Um, they're going to detail kind of what they're going for, and almost all of this is for de- specific to diesel emission systems. Some of it is applicable to gas engines, but um, the vast majority of this, as I read through, this is diesel shit. Um, so again, SEMA is maybe omitting some of that. So uh, these requirements mean that emissions-related parts and elements of design must not be changed, including any part, device, or element of design installed on or in a motor vehicle, non-road equipment, motor vehicle engine, blah, 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 uh, or non-road engine by an original equipment manufacturer for the specific purpose of controlling emissions. Now, that sounds scary, but examples of such parts, devices, and elements of design include onboard diagnostic systems, diagnostic trouble codes, sensors for oxygen, oxides of nitrogen, ammonia, particulate matter, urea quality, and exhaust gas temperature, diesel particulate filters and their sensors, exhaust gas recirculation systems, diesel oxidation catalysts, selective catalytic reduction systems, NOx absorber catalyst systems, engine calibrations that affect engine combustion, so... Uh, fuel injection or ignition timing, injection pattern, fuel injection mass for each injection event, fuel injection pressure, EGR flow rate, mass air flow rate, EGR cooler bypassing, and any other part device or element design installed on the certified vehicles um, in, uh, intended, including parts and specifications included in the manufacturer's tested prototype. So that was a whole, that was a lot. Um, but most of that stuff... Um, you've got EGR systems that applies to gas, um, and, you know, diagnostic trouble codes, shit like that applies to gasoline engines, but they're not really, that's not the focus here. The focus is modifying those systems that might also apply to gas engines, but you have to modify those things in order to do any of these diesel defeat devices. So things that get rid of your particulate filters or your um your def fluid thing which is what is that um something i don't know i i just know i had to buy def uh, at some point when i drove a diesel truck for a while um it's like an exhaust fluid yeah it's like urea or something it's some yeah yeah 
So there's ways to remove those systems. And if you notice that whole big bunch of word salad, mostly was concerned with that kind of stuff. Um, now, the EPA focuses its enforcement activities on the sale and use of aftermarket parts that increase emissions. Um, the EPA generally takes no enforcement uh, for manufacturing, sale, or installation of aftermarket parts against any person who has a reasonable basis for knowing that such a part will not adversely affect emissions performance. So then they go through, like, here's the testing procedure. You can get stuff certified that, like, it's you have a reasonable basis for not knowing it's a problem. Um but again, that's not really super applicable. We know, but most of the parts that you're putting on your car, your race car, aren't really going to adversely affect emissions in a way that the EPA actually gives a shit about. So they don't care about your cold air intake. They don't really care that you put a bigger turbo on. They don't really care that you use more fuel. Um, because generally speaking, all that stuff is still being held up to your emission systems anyway. Like, in most modern cars, I don't know anybody who takes off EGR systems anymore. Like, your car is designed to run with that. Like, it's... Actually, don't take it off, because you're probably going to run better with it. Um, that's kind of like old school shit that nobody does anymore. Like, you can get a... I, I just like to point people to, you know, the fact that there's the Hellcat engine, which has catalytic converters, EGR systems, all these emissions controls, and it's doing just fine. So, you know, again, we're not really talking about that kind of stuff. Um, so in this document, later on, um, the EPA does kind of answer the question of competition only, and they put it in its own section. So they, you know addressing the question of competition only parts. Um, the EPA has found that many companies that make and sell aftermarket defeat devices claim competition only use, but cannot provide any information to show that their products are used solely for competition motorsports. The clean air act does not comp contemplate removing emissions controls from an EPA certified motor vehicle in order to convert it into a competition vehicle. As a matter of enforcement discretion, the EPA's longstanding practice has been not to take enforcement against vehicle owners for removing or defeating the emissions controls of their EPA certified motor vehicles. So long as they show the vehicles are used solely for competition events and no longer driven on public roads. Um, so that is pretty clear. They're not interested in the kinds of cars that SEMA is claiming to protect. Although we know that SEMA is really trying to create a loophole so that other cars can kind of get in. Um, now, recent EPA investigations have revealed evidence showing that hundreds of thousands of diesel pickup trucks have had their emissions controls completely removed, and most or all of the aftermarket defeat devices used to tamp tamper these trucks were sold under the claim of competition only. The sheer volume of aftermarket defeat devices bellies the assertion that these are only for competition motorsports. Um, so again, they're, they're making very clear their enforcement, they're interested in diesel engines. Um, so they then provide some examples of a number of companies, um, which I'll, I'll probably list out at some point. Um, but a couple of them are performance diesel Inc. Uh, and they were busted for $1.1 million settlement. Um, in 2019, Performance Diesel Inc. agreed to resolve 
alleged violations of the Clean Air Act associated with the sale of at least 5,549 aftermarket products that defeat the emissions control systems of heavy-duty diesel engines in violation of the Clean Air Act. PDI manufactured, sold, and installed electronic tuning software known as Tunes that reprogrammed a motor vehicle's electronic control module to alter engine performance and enable, and this is the important part, enable the removal of filters, catalysts, and other critical emissions controls. PDI's aftermarket products were designed for use with numerous models of certified heavy-duty diesel engines. Um, Now, I did want to note, um, they are still around and selling aftermarket stuff for diesels. Um, So, again, that's an interesting choice if they're supposedly scared of getting busted again, right? So if the EPA is coming after every part that could possibly... Um, which some of the language is like, oh, the EPA can regulate any part that changes anything related to the operation of a motor vehicle. So anything that could change fuel time, fuel, um, fueling amount or ignition timing, right? So that's in the language. And at first I found that to be scary. Of course, reading between the lines and understanding how laws actually have to be written to give them the authority to actually um regulate shit they have to write it so that they can enforce all this stuff while they're actually concerned with you know these specific things for diesel engines right so you know a lot of companies are like here here's the epa in their own words saying they're going to take away your race car you kind of have to read the document and like look between the lines and go wait a second that's not what they're doing at all Um, They have the ability to enforce all this stuff, but they keep saying we're not going to. And their actions do seem to back that up. Um, So, you know, in in the case of Performance Diesel Inc., again, they're still around. So if the EPA was going to regulate all these race car parts, right, if they were going to here to take away all of our toys, um, it seems like it would be an interesting choice for this company that was busted to continue selling shit online. That's just me, though. Maybe they're dumb. I don't know. Um, Then there's another company, uh, Punch-It Performance uh, Diesel Truck Tuning, and they uh, went for a $850,000 settlement. Um, So in 2020, the United States reached a settlement with Punch-It Performance and Tuning. Uh, Michael Paul Schimak, I don't know, whatever, and affiliated companies, we'll take note of that, um, and individuals. This settlement is resolved the United States allegations that the defendants manufactured and sold parts for pickup trucks that altered engine performance and enabled the removal of filters, catalysts, and other critical emissions controls. In addition, certain defendants allegedly transferred assets in an effort to avoid payment of penalties in the case. Under the settlement, the defendants must stop the manufacture and sale of all products that violate the Clean Air Act. Uh, they must also surrender the computer code and other intellectual property used in the illegal legal products, and they must stop providing technical and warranty support for the defeat devices already sold. Finally, the, de- the defendants must pay a civil penalty of $850,000 after the, after the EPA notified the defendants in 2016 of its intent to take enforcement action. The corporate defendants transferred real estate and monetary assets to one or more of the individual defendants in their personal capacities. The United States alleged these were fraudulent transfers under the Federal Debt Collection Procedures Act. Accordingly, the individual defendants paid some of the civil penalty by selling personal assets. So so these assholes got caught 
and started moving around their fucking money to uh, um, make it so the EPA couldn't, like, find them as heavily or whatever. Um, and I find that just kind of funny. Um, exactly the kind of tactics normal small business tyrants use. Yes, precisely. <laughs> just, just normal mom and pop moving around millions of dollars. yeah so um again this this you know these companies they're not fighting for you they're not in a bigger fight with the epa they're a bunch of bunch of ass wipes moving around their money and trying to you know uh pull one over on everyone else um now this last uh example that i'm going to cite right now um is an important is is a different kind of company, um, but I feel it's really really important um, to to point out what's going on here because again this builds towards a larger case. Rockwater Northeast, which modified diesel trucks within their own fleet, um, so this was a two point three million dollar settlement, and it involved some prison time. Oh, Whoa. yeah. Um, so this is a, it's it's kind of a different situation, but um, six individuals with various relationships to Rockwater Northeast LLC, um, a hauling service for the oil and gas industry in Pennsylvania, were charged with conspiring to violate the Clean Air Act. The men conspired to modify the emission systems on approximately thirty Rockwater heavy-duty diesel trucks by using aftermarket defeat devices. The purchase of the defeat devices was concealed in Rockwater's books and records. And I'm gonna I'm gonna note this by mislabeling them as exhaust systems. So this is a cringy moment where the EPA looks a little goofy. It's like, well, they were buying exhaust systems. That's not really, it's not mislabeling them. Um, in their books, sure, they didn't write, you know, okay, we we're gonna spend, um, we're gonna put aside, um, fifty thousand dollars for conspiring to violate the clean air act like that <laughs> that's not a line item in their in their you know accounting books um they didn't, they didn't label them emissions defeat devices like, <laughs> exactly like how so normal they... people talk about exhaust systems <laughs> <laughs> so yeah this is one where it was like oh epa you're looking silly here yes they are in fact exhaust systems um to, to call that mislabeling is a bit obnoxious, um, but I digress. The conspirators were also accused of taking the modified com- commercial motor vehicles to state-approved inspection stations to pass federally regulated com- commercial motor vehicle inspections falsely. Um, who among us, right? Been there, done um, that. <laughs> yeah. Allegedly, so I actually period. don't go to places where I can like pass inspection illegally. I just have a guy I give a hundred bucks for a sticker. Yeah, that's the way to do it if you can. Yeah, uh, there's yeah. no point in dragging my jalopy ass, un- illegal, <laughs> fucking, unroadworthy vehicle over there to get falsely inspected. I can just buy the ticket. <laughs> yeah, that's the way to go. Yeah. Um, but uh, sentencing proceedings for the defendants began in February 2020, and as of this writing, which was probably a while back, uh, one defendant has been sentenced to six months imprisonment. Uh, Rockwater agreed to pay $2 million penalty in Select Energy Solutions, Inc., a Texas-based successor in in interest to Rockwater, agreed to pay a $2.3 million penalty. So this is a, a, a different kind of case. Um, it does seem like they 
got a bigger in, in a lot more trouble than some of these other companies that like arguably did worse stuff. Um, that's just, I guess, goofy legal codes and how all that shit works out. But what's important to note about this case is what, what was really going on. So they were going to modify diesel pickup trucks that they were using in their fleet for, you know, their, for the purposes of generating profit. Um, and operating and maintaining diesel vehicles is pretty expensive, right? Um, those filters and stuff, those are expensive to service. Um, getting DEF fluid all the time is like, you know, I mean, it's 15, 20 bucks for a gallon. And you've got to buy that shit every, I forget how often, but, you know, it's somewhere Probably between. Fourth, Philip. Yeah, so it's. Exactly. Well, yeah. And so, um, I was doing, I mean, I drove a sprinter van for a while that was like a small diesel engine and it was like every three or four Phillips or something, or yeah. maybe it was five or six, whatever it was, you'd have to get a gallon of DEF. That shit adds up, right? So these companies, there is a financial incentive to get rid of some of that stuff. And that is really where the EPA is most concerned, right? If, the, the, the reason they come down really hard on that is because, yeah, some idiot Yahoo who's got, you know, a lifted fucking pickup truck doing donuts and whatever and who's a TikTok star and gets his dumb ass. Oh, right. We didn't talk about that on the air, but <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm just going to leave it at that. Just a TikTok star in a truck who got himself killed because he's an idiot. Uh, you can look Hate that up for yourself. His politics, not for his actions. Yes, exactly. Although, wear a seatbelt when you're doing donuts, please. Um, Especially in something with a high center of gravity. (laughs) Yeah. My newest vehicle only has lap belts as mandated by the law of the year. (laughs) I mean, that's fine, though. That'll keep you in there, mostly. Um, But anyway, you know, that's, like, a concern, right? Those idiots rolling coal and whatnot, but, like... If you have fleets of diesel trucks, right, that could be semis, that could be tow trucks, it could be whatever, there is a financial incentive in ripping off these emissions controls. And when you do that, that's where there is a fucking problem. Um, so I, I actually do have um, somewhere in here, bear with me, I've got kind of a listing of the damage that is being done here. So you mean like the the damage of of all these defeat devices are doing to yes. the environment? Yes. Um, I just have to find the fucking thing I'm looking for. Ah, here it is. Okay. Um, so this is uh, actually coming from the uh, National Compliance Initiative that I mentioned earlier. Um, and so I'll, I'll read a little bit from here, um, but kind of moving down to just the part that's like super relevant um the kind of increase that like removing these emissions controls from a single diesel truck would put out the kinds of emissions that it would take you know several hundred um you know properly outfitted trucks would put out so like one diesel truck where you removed all this emission stuff is as bad as like you know one or two hundred regular diesels with their emission stuff on, on the road. 
So when you've got hundreds of thousands of these diesel trucks that are modified this way, it's a fucking lot. Um, one estimate I saw was for the amount, like for the number of um, diesel trucks that they uh, estimate having been modified um, would equal about the environmental impact of about 10 diesel gate scandals. Wow. So, yeah. Yeah, not a small amount. So, like, you know, again, a few Subarus or 350Zs or 240s or Camaros on the road without, uh, you know, with some modifications is not what the EPA is interested in. They are interested in these goddamn diesel trucks. The ones you see rolling coal, uh, you know, that kind of shit. That is removing, like, like diesel engines are fine when they have emissions controls. They're great. They're fantastic um, for what they are and for what they can do. Um, it, it's great to have. But they're really, really bad if you remove those emissions controls. And gasoline, too. is. I mean, they're not good if you, like, take your catalytic converters off and shit. But, like, diesel trucks are especially bad when you remove that stuff. Um, yeah. So, I mean... It, it makes me think back to, like, before they put these regulations in place, like, in the 90s, you know, just every single semi-truck was just belching out giant clouds of black smoke all the time, you know. And, and Zach, I'm sure you can tell us about, like, how I think uh, construction equipment is not regulated. Like, a, like a bulldozer doesn't have to pass emissions. So, you know, those are spewing out smoke all over the place, too. Yeah, no, they absolutely have no emissions regulations on those things. Um, it is just uh, an exhaust manifold through a pipe. Uh, sometimes the mufflers are still on them. Most of the time, not. So they're awful to be around. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's and, not and so, fun at all. Kind of going back to, to, to this idea that, like, we have fun with our race cars and whatnot, but, like, we don't have the same financial incentive. Like, if I have to put a catalytic converter on my race car okay, whatever, I lose five horsepower or something, which I, sh you know, is not a big deal anyway. So, like, don't take your cats off. <laughs> Ultimately, just, like, leave them on. But a lot of these companies, like, there is profit to be made. So if the EPA doesn't enforce this stuff against these diesel engines, we could see, we could go back to the days of, like, semis that are running without any of this shit. We could go back to these diesel pickups that are just, like, really really polluting and then we go back to much more severe air quality issues like what we used to have before the epa started actually regulating this stuff i mean again it, everything was covered in smog everything was fucking the air was terrible um and so you have to stop these businesses from trying to profit through this environmental degradation and that's the key here which race car drivers are not that problem, right? I, to be fair, you know, if the, the five horsepower loss that you're getting by keeping a cat on your car is making or breaking your race car build, get better at building race cars. <laughs> exactly. You fucking suck, dude. Like, or, or get better at driving race cars. Or that. Yeah. Or both. Well, and, yeah, and that's kind of why. Five horsepower I... is nothing. Like, get over it. 
<laughs> well, and that's the thing. Like, everyone's like, oh, this is a blah, blah, blah. Really? Again, the Hellcat comes with fucking catalytic converters. You explain to me how they managed it. Okay? The problem is not catalytic converters or EGR systems or any of that. That It's just not the issue. And so, like, people like to hate on the EPA because, especially right-wingers, like, let's be real, they like to fuck the EPA because they're stupid and they didn't live before the EPA existed. Um, but, again, none of this stuff is egregious. None of this stuff is banning motorsports. None of this stuff is taking away the race cars. None of this seems to match what SEMA is saying. Um, so that, that's kind of just why I keep bringing up the fact that, like, modern performance engines don't have all this, you know, don't have these same problems that, you know, everyone seems to be so scared of. Yeah, and I think also, like, with with most modern cars, if you take off the cats, you like you have to modify a whole lot of other stuff to get it to work. Like, yeah. you might have to put in a an aftermarket ECU because, you know, most stock ECUs will freak the fuck out if you take the cat off and, you know, the, the, um, the, what do you call it? O2 sensor, the rear O2 sensor is giving a bad signal, you know? Yeah. And a lot um, of aftermarket ECUs won't even have OBD2 ports. Right. So, like, you couldn't, you really couldn't get it plated anyway. Right. So, like, again... This is a non-issue for most people. And yeah, it's I mean, a real pain in the ass to do a lot of these modifications. I was talking to one Lemons racer in particular who was, you know, we were we were all talking about, you know, this car that he was building. And someone asked, like, are you going to take the cat off? Because, you know, you could see the catalytic converted right right next to the ex- exhaust system in the back of the car. And he's like, no, no, I, I find that they, you know, tend to run like shit if you take them off. And, uh, yeah, as far as I know, that car still has catalytic converters on it. And it's, uh, you know, raced pretty successfully for yeah. a couple of years. <clears throat> yeah. So, again, a lot of these claims are a little ridiculous. Um, so let me run through this real quick. Um, uh, the So by making aftermarket defeat devices a national priority, EPA is addressing a significant contributor to air pollution, uh, according to a study by the EPA's Air Enforcement Division of the impacts of known sales of defeat devices for certain diesel trucks after 2009 and before 2020. So, of course, that's model years 2009 to 2020. Uh, those devices would result in more than 570,000 tons of excess NOx and 5,000 tons of particulate matter over the lifetime of the trucks. So that is not a small amount. That is quite a bit of pollution. Um, and then the EPA goes on to say, oh, so we can, you know, try and enforce on that and, you know, hopefully fix that a little bit. Um, so here's kind of what they're claiming are their results of this national compliance initiative. Um, during fiscal year 2020, the initial year for implementation of this initiative, the agency made significant progress on this um, national compliance initiative. Uh, EPA prevented 18.2 million pounds of emissions from mobile air sources. The following are illustrative of the agency's efforts in fiscal year 2020 to address the manufacture, sale, and installation of defeat devices. Um, they're saying they resolved 31 civil enforcement cases, which I feel like the number of civil enforcement cases keeps changing in, in every source. But, you know, some number. Um 
the greatest number of resolutions for tampering and aftermarket defeat devices for any one year in the agency's history. Uh, they forged successful partnerships, blah, 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 blah. Um, provided compliance assistance. So since fall 2019, gave more than 22 presentations to stakeholder groups, including states and trade associations um, on tampering and aftermarket defeat devices. So, of course, um, helping others to you know kind of regulate this stuff, too. Um, so here's some notes. The EPA estimated emissions increased due to a full delete on these diesel engines, right? So if they remove all their emissions controls, here's what is to be expected. Um, oxides of nitrogen or NOx increased by about 310 times. Non-methane hydrocarbons Whoa. increased 1,140 times. Uh, wow. Carbon... Carbon monoxide increased about 120 times, and particulate matter increased 40 times. So, yeah, Jesus, yeah, it's a lot. Only 40? Well, for the particulate matter. Oh, that's fine. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it's, it's bad. Um, you know, and then. Uh, in this initiative, they, they mentioned some of the companies that we already talked about, Punch Performance, Performance Diesel Inc., and they have, like, these links. So I'll put this in the show notes, but they've got links to all of these cases, and they just have, like, a short little blurb about it. Um, so in addition to Punch Performance, Performance Diesel Inc., there's also Freedom Performance LLC slash Spartan Diesel slash KT Performance. I don't know if those are the same company or if that's three different companies. I don't know. Whatever. They listen together. It is what it is. Uh, diesel Power Products, Alligator Diesel Performance, and Deviant Race Parts, um, Innovative Diesel LLC, Airfish, blah, 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 Automotive, um, and Diesel Works. So, again, the, the clear takeaway here is that they're, they seem to be focusing on diesel trucks. And that is not at all the way the that SEMA has presented this. It is not the way that your favorite car YouTuber has presented this, right? They're they're always talking about the gasoline cars and whatnot, um, and that is just that is just very far from the truth. Um, now, to give some credence to it, um, there are some cases of the EPA going after some. Um, uh, co companies, you know, making, if I, they, they're not clear, they call them defeat devices, but I'm pretty sure what they mean is exhaust systems that allow the removal of catalytic converters. Um, so uh, on gasoline vehicles anyway, so that's, that is a thing that has happened. However, I just have to find the article here which I will do at some point, I promise. Okay, so this is from a another article um, in from Hemmings, um, which is entitled, EPA Launches Crackdown on Emissions Defeat Device Makers. Um, they go through a lot of the same stuff we've already talked about. They talk about the diesel um, companies that we've already mentioned. Okay, so this is kind of somewhere midway down in the article. Some of the other aftermarket companies that the EPA has pursued enforcement action against over the last year also specialized in tunes and other products for diesel engines. Again, it's all diesels, or not all, but um, for selling tunes largely for heavy-duty diesel engines, uh, 
performance diesel ink was, you know, blah, 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 blah. Uh, sorry. Um, then we've got California based Magnaflow was ordered to pay 612,000, $612, $849 penalty in March. Uh, and for selling, um, oh, sorry, hold on. I apologize, listeners. I'm, I'm off, I'm off my game here. Uh, for selling catalytic converter delete aftermarket exhaust systems, California-based Magnaflow was ordered to pay $612, um, $849 uh, penalty in March. And also for selling catalytic converter delete aftermarket exhaust systems, Nevada-based Jamo Performance Exhaust was ordered to pay a $10,000 penalty in August. Um, in addition, the EPA secured settlements against a number of companies that sold parts for gasoline engines over the last year. So uh, before, so those first two for Magnaflow and Jamo performance exhaust, again, those were exhaust systems for diesel engines. Um, so, you know, people like to point to, oh, they got Magnaflow. And it's like, well, they got Magnaflow for fucking with diesel engines, just like everything else. Then we get into a few of the cases where the EPA went after gasoline engine parts, right? So this is it. This is where, this is what SEMA was talking about. This is what uh, the EPA is cracking down on. This is the evidence that they're taking our race cars. Um, so all those million-dollar penalties for diesel engine stuff, that's that's just the tip of the iceberg. Let's see what's going on. In addition, the EPA secured settlements against a number of companies that sold parts for gasoline engine vehicles over the last year. Among them, Nevada-based Flowmaster, name everyone knows, which paid a $270,000 penalty in March. Uh, California-based OBX Racing Sports, which paid a $25,000 penalty in April. California-based Ystec Engineering, which paid an $8,500 penalty in March. And California-based Apex Integration, which paid a $5,000 penalty in August. All were for selling either tunes or catalytic converter delete exhaust components. So, yeah. If you didn't notice... Those fines are very different than the fines paid by those for modifying diesel engines. And I think that's kind of the big takeaway. Yes, they seem to be going after companies that make it possible to remove catalytic converters. And frankly, that's probably, I think that's a concession that car enthusiasts should be okay with. Your catalytic converter it's costing you maybe five horsepower, but it's saving the fucking air quality um, tremendously. So, like, yeah, they've gone after a few manufacturers who absolutely have the money. These fines are a fucking slap on the wrist. This is like you getting a fine for 40 bucks. Um, I know the numbers look big, but these are huge companies. And they are doing, they're selling shit that they know they're not supposed to. Um I get it. It sucks that it's kind of been sort of a gray area and it's just kind of everyone's looked the other way, but like they're making an example out of these companies, whatever. This is slap on the wrist shit. This is not the kind of end of the world talk that SEMA has been bringing on. This is like pretty normal stuff. Um, so in all the EPA secured settlements, again, numbers different, but whatever, uh, 42 companies in 2019, uh, more than any one year over the past decade, and a 40% increase over 2018. Um, since 2010, the EPA has secured settlements against 298 companies for Clean Air Act violations, including vehicles and engines, blah, 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 blah. So, of course, you're going to see that, like, oh, the EPA is 
getting more of these settlements. They're cracking down more. This is used to bolster the idea that there is this crackdown. But I think so far, the, the case I kind of think the evidence is showing is that mm, they might be cracking down, but it's mostly on diesel engine shit. Um, so um, also in the show notes, which I, I don't really, I don't feel the need to go through um, because I'm, I mean, maybe here. Well, let me, I've got a super anti um, SEMA article here. that's like largely true, maybe goes a little far sometimes. It's kind of like, all right, you know, take a fucking chill pill. But um, I will link it in the show notes. Um, let me see if I can find a few highlights from it. Uh, <coughs> so just so the listeners know what we're talking about or know what they're seeing in the show notes. Um, this article is entitled the RPM act, how a multi-billion dollar industry is trying to ruin our air. Um, it's a little bit, you know, it makes some pretty big claims too. It's kind of just the, it's one of the only, um, sources that you will find that is like really against that is pro EPA and against what SEMA's doing. Um, it's probably written by people who aren't car enthusiasts themselves. Um, they do make a lot of good points though. Um, they're essentially, you know, writing about all this stuff from a critical point of view. Um, and this is one of the things that I saw early on and I didn't quite believe, but through my research, I, I did find that, yeah, they're, they're largely correct. So they will be in the show notes. Um, but they, they kind of point out, you know, they're, they're, they're explaining why this stuff keeps coming back. So, um, you know, why, why do the RPM act keeps coming back again? Remember it was, came out in 2017. There was another one for 2018, 2019, whatever. Every year it keeps coming back. Um, as with most tiny obscure bills like this, the reason why the RPM Act keeps on being introduced year after year is money. Specialty, the Specialty Equipment Market Association, or SEMA, is the trade association for aftermarket equipment, including manufacture, equipment manufacturers, including the companies manufacturing defeat devices, and they've been fighting with the EPA for that exemption for at least five years. Uh, SEMA is not interested in air quality or public health or whether the RPM Act restricts EPA's ability to do its job. SEMA is simply interested in making it easier for its members to make money. How do we know this? Because the RPM Act is not designed to solve the problem that SEMA claims exists. Uh, the Clean Air Act makes crystal clear that the illegality, the illegality of tampering with motor vehicles emissions control system SEMA claims to care about hobbyist racers, but all it would take to protect racers and the racing industry would be clear guidance from the EPA on converting a motor vehicle into a competition-only vehicle. The EPA already has such rules in place for imported cars and off-road dirt bikes. Um, having Congress direct the agency to find a similar path for decertification of a motor vehicle to exclude it from highway travel would have been the obvious strategy, if that was what they cared about. Instead, SEMA is seeking a blanket exemption without any such verification or protection because it knows quite well that it is seeking not to protect racers, but instead protect manufacturers who wish to sell products to both legitimate racers and the folks who are going to install them on their daily drivers and pollute the air we all breathe. And that's me. <laughs> a little bit. But, um, you know, I'm not, I don't have a diesel truck either. But, yeah, they're, they're kind of pointing out that 
SEMA isn't interested in the racers. They're interested in the fucking manufacturers. And through all the research that I did, (coughs) excuse me, through all the research I did, I I pretty much found that that seems to hold up. Um, So that's what I'm finding anyway. Um, I did just want to mention that the article is out there um, and its title so that people know um, you can go check that out. Um, especially if you're, you know, if you're arguing with people about the RPM Act and you're like, hey, this is kind of bullshit, whatever. Um, this article is maybe a little bit, it's not perfect, um, but it is, it's one of the few things um, that does, um, it does a good job of being, you know, technically pretty accurate. Um, so, yeah, just, just something to keep in mind and, and maybe check out for yourself. Um, so kind of sure the just... best place to like wedge this question in, but like now seems as good a time as any, um, like to what extent is, is I wonder the diesel like aftermarket, uh, like what, like, I wonder what amount that constitutes of the total, like, uh, automotive aftermarket right now, because I, I definitely feel like all of the high dollar modifications that I see to newer vehicles always end up being on diesel trucks anymore. Yep. And, and um, so, yeah, yeah I, it, it forces me to wonder, like, how much th- this is not even like the EPA trying to be proactive. Like this, this seems to a, a large extent reactive because diesel trucks are just getting like out of control, and the people that can afford to spend sixty, seventy, eighty thousand dollars on a truck are the same people that can afford to spend another twenty or thirty thousand dollars on making that thing an absolute monstrosity that rolls coal and just does every god-awful thing imaginable. Yeah, so, like, I've... The the other thing I wanted to note, like, just in my own personal experience, um, I I did mention that, like, I I drove a Sprinter van that was diesel for a while in a commercial capacity. And this is a personal anecdote, but um, with friends who I would openly talk about modifying gas cars or drift cars and whatnot, like, oh, yeah, you know, we'll, we'll talk about cutting cats and whatever no no problem there but on the topic of commercial diesel emissions controls removal that was discussed i mean even in private conversations almost in hushed tones um it's one of those things that you inherently know is like yeah this is a this is different it it feels different it is discussed different um and i've been to you know, auto shops where I'm hanging out and whatever, talking to people and they start bringing up, you know, modifications of like heavy duty diesel engines and stuff. And the tone changes. People know you're not supposed to do this. The EPA wants to stop this. It does create severe pollution and they fucking know it. Um, so, so that's like, you'll notice the kind of shift in the conversation when you talk about gasoline engines versus when you talk about modifying diesels. Um, and those modifications are, like you said, Brandon, they are expensive. I mean, it is, you're talking six to $10,000 to do a lot of this stuff. Um, like it is extraordinarily more expensive than you would ever. Nobody's doing this on, you know, regular race cars or whatever. This is, it's different when it comes to these fucking diesels. It is absolutely different. And you're right to suspect it is largely that demographic of like pretty, 
pretty well-off folks that are doing it. And for no reason, really. Yeah. So, sorry, I, I, I know that doesn't, like, quite answer your question, but, like... It's more just it me, is... like, speculating, like, w- w- given that we've established SEMA as almost a, a lobbying body as much as anything else, if they're going to represent the people that they are lobbying for, I'm wondering out loud what amount of that constitutes, like, diesel performance. But if I had to guess, I, I would say it might not be a major, like, it's probably not a majority part of the market, but it's probably the fastest growing part of the market. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I think like pickup trucks have, uh, pickup truck sales have gone way up in the last few years. And I'm not really sure why other than, you know, some of it like was to have a giant <clears throat> truck to drive. The, well, well that and the, pr- the price of crude. Um, so because the price of crude oil has been so low, um, there's articles about how like, oh, Americans are buying bigger cars because the price of gas is cheap for a while. Um, so the sales of like, um, you know, that includes diesel trucks, but, you know, pickup trucks, uh, SUVs, that kind of stuff. Um, sales of those go up when the gas prices go down. Um, and this is essentially, that's a big part of why there's been an explosion in those like diesel trucks sales. Gotcha. Yeah. I just live in an area where there's a lot of mountains. So, you know, if I'm even going to get to work in the morning, I need at least 900 pound feet of torque. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And like two feet well, of ground clearance too. You know, and that's the other what, thing. Am I a low rider? <laughs> you know, I, I'm all for protecting, you know, car enthusiasts. Although I think like, well, okay, but we can't destroy the fucking planet in the name of our stupid hobby. But at the same time, like... Challenge accepted. I don't, well, I just, I don't feel that bad for people with their goddamn diesel pickup trucks. You don't need, you don't need to, you're not racing it. You don't need to drag race your pickup truck. Get a fucking car that's made to do that. You, you want, you want to go fast, get a car that's designed to go fast. Don't modify your stupid ass diesel truck. Because also, let's not forget diesel trucks are the only demographic where they actively modify their vehicle just to pollute more. Yeah, they actually find it funny. Rolling and so, coal like, is, is, does not, to my knowledge, provides not one beneficial thing to the performance. It's just a way of being an asshole. Yeah. Yeah. And believe me, short of gulags in the wall, you know, taking away their toys is pretty much all we got. I'm not saying we need to fall short of gulags on the wall. <laughs> Allegedly parody. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, it, it's really, this is a problem for it's like this, this isn't for racers this isn't for drag racers it's not for drifters it's not for autocrossers it's not for rally drivers it's for fucking ass wipes in their stupid fucking diesel trucks and as an extension of that it is to prevent this from becoming a bigger problem in commercial settings right so those fleet vehicles those construction companies those logistics companies if if the EPA loses control of those companies, the pollution will be on a whole different level. That's where we have a real, real problem. So, um, yeah, that's kind of what I was finding in my research is like there's there is a reason they are clamping down on this really, really hard for diesels because of the potential to see this implemented by companies. Um, and SEMA is doing a service to really put that in fucking jeopardy. Um, so I, I do hope they don't win, but you know, to, to any listeners, 
I was convinced that the EPA was cracking down on race cars. Like I was convinced by SEMA's claims early on. Um, it was through this research that I learned that that's not the whole story. Um, and, and I was almost ready to give up on my research because again, all the media I saw reinforced this idea that SEMA wanted. Um, and like my, my partner Megan was like, nah, you're missing something. You should keep looking because that's not adding up. And I was like, no, no, they're totally cracking down. And that's exactly what's happening. And she's just like, well, do me a favor. Why don't you, you know, why don't you, uh, she had a friend who's like, has some job in Congress. She's like, yeah, she, here, she, you know, read this committee report. Cause this came up in Congress. Here's how you find it. Um, and so she actually pointed me towards the committee report. And that was where I started to really question this narrative. And so again, um, there really isn't any car media out there that's making a different case. Um, so this was, it was hard to find good information, but once you start reading between the lines, you start to see, oh, I, I, it becomes a little more clear what's, what's going on. Um, so yeah, that's, that's kind of where I'm coming down on it. Um, this really does seem to be an initiative aimed at diesel, um, truck stuff. And that's what it always has been. And you know, SEMA is opportunistically seizing on some uncertainty and some certain technicalities to, I think, make their own, um, to, to increase their own notoriety and their own power um, in, in lobbying efforts and to make more money for um, manufacturers. And I think, I think a lot of this is kind of like, scaremongering to also partially get people to buy shit now because they think it's going to be illegal later. Um, which is a phenomenon that we see with a lot of gun sales, like the NRA's yeah. fearmongering and oh, you better go get your guns. Um, SEMA may, this is, I'm ascribing motive for something that I don't know. And, and so I don't know that this is true, but like SEMA is probably playing this up a little bit to, to at least some percentage. Um, to, to that effect. So, um, yeah. Anyway, you know, my kind of final like note on, on where we're at here is I think we should kind of take away from this case, um, how easily media can be influenced away from reality and to present a narrative that is desired by the forces of capital. Um, I think this applies to more than just, you know, uh, pollution and the EPA. I mean, what we're seeing in real time is like, this is how wars get justified. This is how, you know, socialism gets demonized. It, it's, this is how powerful propaganda is and sometimes how flimsy it can be and still be effective. I once heard, uh, have you ever heard of the term stovepiping? No. No. Uh, it, I forget who coined it, but I think it was somebody in the Bush administration. But it's basically where you have, like, in a political sense, it's where you have someone who's kind of behind the scenes and in the know. Like, uh, let's let's say because it was the Bush administration, uh, you're talking about WMDs in Iraq. You, all you have to have is somebody inside the presidential office report anonymously to someone in the media. Like, we have 
we, like anonymously, well, we have some evidence that the Iraq has WMDs. The news reports from this anonymous source that there are reports of Iraq having WMDs. And then the same office that reported that to the news can like play off of the media reports of that. Exactly. And exactly. So what? And so like, I. Th- that's. It sounds like uh, this is is similar to that, where where it kind of created a narrative, fed it, and it created a a, a sort of snake eating its own tail tail of of well, they're trying to take our cars away. Yep. Pretty much. So um, that's pretty much all I've got for right now. Now, I did want to just kind of tease uh, an upcoming episode. Um, so w- listeners uh, may have, you know, thought recently there's there's another case um, that could be closer to what the e- to what SEMA has been claiming about, you know, what the EPA is trying to do. And um, so I've been looking into this a little bit. Um, but that's going to be a few months down the line, I think. Um, so essentially, there's a company in, I think it was Utah, um, and they're called PFI Speed. Um, they were recently contacted by the EPA, um, and they were audited, and they were getting fined. And now SEMA and PRI have kind of picked up their case, and they're trying to use it to one bolster the RPM act to um, fight the EPA on this in court. So, you know, they hooked this guy up with the same lawyer who has been involved in a lot of these cases with these diesel companies. Um, What's different about this case is that um, it is for selling parts for what appears to be gas engines. And it was for selling aftermarket ECUs. So, not catalytic converter deletes, not whatever. It was for selling Honda S300 ECUs. So this was the first case that actually seems like it could potentially vindicate what SEMA's been saying. Um, which, just by the way, because I love our listeners so much, they should know that um, I have sat through... Um, this guy has a YouTube channel, and I have sat through so many of his videos bitching and moaning he is a fucking baby and he is insufferable and he is fucking grandstanding like well like a congressperson and because i love our listeners i have sat through these videos and they are awful but i will have some info to report later um so i wish i could report that i've been truly good and that I actually already sent out my FOIA request, but um, I didn't. I procrastinated, um, so I still have to send it. Uh, mostly because I thought I was just gonna like send it to the FOIA officer as an email attachment, but um, I can't find that for the EPA. So I unfortunately am relegated to using their online portal, which um, I'm guessing is gonna be a real pain in the ass. And I, I'm gonna try and do it on my phone. <laughs> We're going to see how that goes. Um, But for a FOIA request, they've got 20 business days to provide me with the documentation that I'm asking for, which I have to give them every opportunity to give it to me so it could take longer. Um, And then I've got to go through it. But at some point in the coming months, we'll do a part two 
for the RPM Act. And we're going to look at this case in detail um, because I do have... Um, I'm pretending to be a journalist uh, of some sort, and uh, I'm sending out a Freedom of Information Act request uh, to the EPA to give me pretty much anything they got on this case. Um, I mean, it's obviously a little more wording to it, and I'm asking for very specific things, but um, this guy did put out some paperwork that he got through the EPA, which listed some names, so I got stuff I can request. So, um, yeah, so right now, what we've gone through is the RPM Act pre this case. This case is new, and it's being worked through right now, so SEMA's really big on this case. So, like, if you're listening to this episode and you're thinking, hey, they didn't mention, you know, PFI speed, um, that's because it's still too new. And um, if anybody does throw that in your face, um, there's some shit that's not adding up with that case. And that's the reason I'm doing a FOIA request. Um, This guy's making all kinds of claims, but... um, they seem awfully fucking strange, if you ask me. So um, I don't want to comment on that case just yet too much. But uh, like I said, things aren't adding up. I've got some, I got some, uh, uh, I don't know. I don't know. I, I can't think of a good um, saying or whatever because I'm dumb. But yeah, I'm working on stuff. So uh, there will be an update later on. But yeah, that's what I got on the RPM Act for now. You got some irons in the fire. That's what I was trying to think of, and I was like, "God, I can't! What I can't come up with it." I was like, "Pans on the stove? What is it?" <laughs> so I freaked out and I panicked. So that's so for the listeners that that was the panic in my voice as I couldn't think of irons in the fire. So now you know. <laughs> I got your back. Five minutes later. Thank you, Zach. <laughs> you betcha. I'm not here to help any of you. Well, we already knew that. We're very aware. <laughs> my primary role on this show is anchor. In, in the holding you back sense. <clears throat> well, anyway, on that note, um, you know, remember to uh, subscribe or rate and review our podcast if you like it. And uh, follow us on, you know, social media. We're on Hexbear and Instagram and Twitter, Facebook, Marginally. I'm not updating it as much as I should. You know, we're on the social medias. Oh, Reddit too? Yeah. yeah. Come follow us. And if you don't like the show, how did you get this far into it? Yeah. yeah I we, can't imagine anyone sitting through this long. No yeah, way. Hours. <laughs> even, even if you liked the show, I'm surprised if you got this far. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway, thanks for listening. Uh, and uh, yeah. Goodbye, listeners. Bye. Bye. Fuck off. You can deal a revolution, but you can't deal a revolution. Poverty. Half a million Americans at any given time are sleeping out under bridges and in gutters. Is that not violence to force a human being to sleep in the fucking street? While, while the rulers that dictate this entire system have four or five or six fucking houses, that's violence. If you ain't first, you're last. You know what I'm talking about? That phrase, trademark, not to use the other phrase, Ricky Bobby.
There's a joke that circulated in Russia in 1992, in the, after the first year of the free market paradise, and it went like this. Question, what did capitalism accomplish in one year that communism could not do in 70 years? Answer, make communism look good. My calculations are correct. When this baby hits 88 miles per hour, you're gonna see some serious shit. Much of what has been said about communism in this country is simply not true. She assaulted my body. Yeah. And that's nothing but pure and simple old-fashioned communism. The U.S. government is the largest terrorist organization on planet Earth, and they have no right to wag their finger at anybody over anything having to do with ethics, morality, or human rights. America is a human rights violation in and of itself.